All right, so we are um, continuing our series called Holy Stories. I guess we're in week four now. We started off with Larry and uh, uh, doing uh, Nehemiah and rebuilding the walls. And then uh, we talked about the parable of the sower where Jesus cast the seed on the, or he talks about the sower who cast the seed, the farmer cast the seed on the hard path, on the shallow soil, in the weedy soil, and in the uh, good ground. And the good ground produced a crop. The weedy ground was too distracted to care about God enough to be able to make a difference. The shallow soil got uh, their feelings hurt and quit. And the other one never got connected with God in the first place. And so we want to be that soil that produces a crop. But last week we talked about the lost parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And there are people who are, they're just lost. They, they want to find their way in life, but they don't know how to do that. And so we need people to diligently seek after them to help them through so that they can find the light of Christ, find the truth of God. That's the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then, of course, there are those who are in rebellion who have walked away from God. They're not lost. They just don't want to go home. And it's a whole different deal. And we saw that uh, in the parable of the lost son, the son walked away and the father didn't send anybody after him, didn't do any, just, okay, here's your money, we'll see you later. The son leaves, squanders all his money in wild living, becomes in need, comes to his senses and comes home. But then we see the father running out to meet him, ready to receive him back when he wants to come home. So the rebellion was broken, the the lost son came home and the heart of the father was to embrace immediately and receive back his lost son. Those parables represent a huge paradigm shift in the religious culture. Back then it was very common, very similar to uh, say a business culture. If you're not getting the job done, you're out. We'll find somebody who can do it. It was a, a situation kind of like that, where the, the sinner, the bad person, was cast aside, and the good people got together and, you know, just worship God together. And, oh, oh, you're a sinner, you're a bad person, you should be an outcast. And they cast him out. But Jesus said, no, that's a valuable person that needs to be sought after. If the person is lost, they need to be reached out to. If the person is in rebellion, you need to pray for them and wait for them to come back and then receive them immediately when they return. So we talked about the lost parables. And the way that you get unlost is to repent and turn to God. So just ask for forgiveness. He's ready. There is no one that needs to be lost because the price has been paid for you to be found. We are found by asking for forgiveness of our sins, receiving that forgiveness, and then walking with God. It's just that simple. And so receive that. Um, <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about the parable of the unmerciful servant. The unmerciful servant is going to be our holy story for today. Um, and I've, I completely believe that this is a breakthrough opportunity for many people. That in this group, there are people, if you catch the truths that we're going to talk about tonight... This could be a get-set-free time. This could be a true holy moment. And so we're going to pray, and we're going to get into the parable of the unmerciful servant for our holy story for tonight. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that your holy word would come alive, that we would see it for what it is, and that we would be able to grab hold of your truths. Lord, bless our time. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Guide us tonight. Lord, let us take advantage of this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I think the unmerciful servant is probably the fourth harshest parable in the scriptures So uh, that Jesus spoke. Probably the fourth harshest. So there's some harsh stuff in there. You know, it's, it's in the list of harsh things. There's harsher ones, but this one's got some harsh stuff in it, especially at the end. That last verse is a mean one. So uh, we're going to find out how in the midst of that we can grab hold of something wonderful. Because, well, let me ask you this question. Why does God make rules? Because he loves us and he's trying to help us out. That's why God makes rules. Understand? It's like... Why do I tell when my kids were little? Why did I tell the four-year-old, if the ball goes on the street, you come and get me? Why did I tell him that? Because I love him and I'm trying to help him out. I don't want him to get hit by a car. He thinks, oh, sure, balls are good. They're fun to play with. How come you won't let me play with my ball? That's what he's thinking when he's four because he doesn't have the broader perspective. But the fact of the matter is, if he goes and gets that ball, he's in danger and he doesn't see it. So come get me. I made sure that was very clearly understood. God makes rules to help us out because he loves us. If we understand that, we can embrace the ways of God. So let's look at this parable. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Peter was dealing with something that all of us deal with, and that is forgiving other people. Anybody ever had to do that? Forgive someone else? Yeah, this is a universal part of the human condition. You will have forgiveness opportunities in your life. You will have many of them, and some of them will be huge. And that's universal. Everybody has that. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And other places it says 70 times seven. And this doesn't mean that, well, when we get to 490, we get to draw the line. What this means is just keep forgiving. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to just keep forgiving. Don't count. (laughs) The idea here isn't to take this too literally and, and count. But it is to realize That we don't get to the place where we stop forgiving. We must be people that offer forgiveness. And then he tells this parable. Verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. So a talent was uh, a, a large amount. Like about 100 pounds. Some people say 75 pounds, some people say 130 pounds, but anyway, I mean, you're looking at a lot. So like a talent of gold was like 100 pounds of gold, like as much as a human being could carry. It was a lot. So how much did this person owe? 10,000 talents. That's a mind-boggling amount. 
So this person who owes 10,000 talents was brought to him. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's like, oh, you owe me 10,000 talents. But you seem like a nice guy. You're so contrite. All right, tell you what, it's paid for. Debt is canceled. I'm not going to sell you and your family. You're free. He's like, yes. Isn't that a miraculous, wonderful thing? Try that at the bank with your mortgage. Uh, you know, hey, work with me, man. You know, they don't cancel it. This is an incredible, incredible blessing. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one, one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This would be equivalent to like $10, $20 today. So millions of dollars, you know, 10,000 talents versus, you know, maybe 20 bucks, something like that. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Are you recognizing the situation? There's a debt owed. There's a debtor and there's a debtee. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. And I will pay you back. Again, we're having a repeat scenario. But how does it go now? Verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he should pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. So they found out, look, this guy was forgiven this huge debt. And he's Put someone else in debtor's prison. Back then they had debtor's prison. And so if you owed somebody, they'd put you in prison until you paid the debt. Now it was a tricky thing because if you're in prison, how much money are you going to be making? You just had to hope you had friends and family that would go ahead and pay your debt for you because if nobody came and showed up, you just stayed there. So he had this individual thrown into debtor's prison. The other people saw it and thought, this isn't right. So they tell the master, how might the master respond? Let's look. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So that doesn't seem very nice, does it? So instead of canceling the debt, he says, no, I'm putting your debt back on you and you're going in debtor's prison and you're going in the mean debtor's prison, the one where they torture you. They don't just hold you there. You're going to be tortured until you pay back your 10,000 talents. This is the fourth harshest in my opinion. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Verse 
Isn't that amazing? That is wildly harsh. So the promise here that Jesus speaks in the book of Matthew is that if we don't forgive others, our entire debt of sin will be put on us and we'll have to pay it off ourselves. Hmm. So, what was wrong with this guy? (laughs) This dude that was so harshly treated who was put in prison. Well, first thing, he was a hypocrite, right? He received wonderful forgiveness. He begged for forgiveness of this debt. He received forgiveness of the debt, but he wasn't willing to do that for others. When it was a huge debt, he was willing to be forgiven of that huge debt. When it was a little bitty debt, he was not willing to forgive that little bitty debt. It has still been ahead, you know, like 9,999 talents and like 99% of that last talent too. It has still been that far ahead. But it wasn't good enough. He was a hypocrite. Who does this person represent? This person in this parable represents the believer who wants forgiveness from God, who wants unconditional love and acceptance from God, who wants their faults and their daily mess-ups to be overlooked by God, but who will not offer that to others. Will not offer forgiveness when they are harmed. Will not offer unconditional love to someone. They, you better earn it from me. Will not overlook other people's errors and mistakes and faults. But will point them out and stick them to them. This represents that type of hypocritical believer. Those aren't good people, are they? Are you motivated to forgive yet? Are you, are you there? I'm going to work on you a little harder. I'm going <laughs> to make sure this happens. Because let me tell you something. I firmly believe that God gives commands because He loves us and He wants to help us. And forgive is a command given to us because He loves us and He wants to help us. But let's... Uh, Let's put a little more pressure on. How's that sound? All right. Just to knock this out of the park. Matthew 6, 14 through 16. This is right after Jesus finishes giving the Lord's Prayer. The the disciples ask him, how should we pray? He gives an example. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's recited in churches all over the world. And the next verses, the next three verses are this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast... Ah, we don't need that one. Sorry. Just, just those two. I set, the, I set the computer person up. Awesome. So, look at that. Let's put verse 15 up there again. I just distracted myself by talking about fasting. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The unmerciful servant was offered forgiveness, did not offer forgiveness, and then had that forgiveness taken away. The forgiveness offered to someone else affected the forgiveness offered by God. 
This seems to point out that same thing. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive you. That there is somehow a connection between my willingness to forgive others and my ability to be forgiven by God. There's a connection. Let's look at Colossians 3.13. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This one, I love this one. I always try to figure out, you know, what, what was going on? What were people thinking? Because, you know, we've got precious few words in the scriptures. If it was volumes and volumes and volumes, that would be awesome. Little books. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have. Does it sound like the Apostle Paul is interested in hearing the story? Oh, you said that she did this wrong. Well, why don't we sit down for a while and have you explain it to me? Does it sound like he cares? (laughs) Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. If you got grievances, whatever they are, I don't want to hear it. Just just forgive them. You know, (laughs) that doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, contingency based on, well, yeah, but what they said was really, really bad. I mean, there's, there's nothing like that. It's just whatever grievances you have, forgive those. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, with a consciousness of understanding that we have been forgiven. And so we should forgive. We have received something, and if we're unwilling to reciprocate, if we're unwilling to pass that on, then we've entered into hypocrisy. Let's go to Mark 11.25. Mark 11.25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I looked at every Bible version that I have access to, and in every one of them, there was a a connector here in the NIV, so that. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. There's a connection between offering forgiveness and being able to receive forgiveness from God. How important is it for us to be able to receive forgiveness from God? It's it's the foundation of everything. It's Christ on the cross. It is it's it. We must be able to be forgiven or we're in a world of hurt, right? I need the forgiveness of God. I cannot have my sins held against me or I'm in serious, serious trouble. So if my forgiving others affects my being forgiven, I need to pay close attention and make sure I don't wander off into something very, very dangerous. There is a relationship between being able to be forgiven by God And our willingness to forgive others. So we're talking about forgiveness. Let's fix a few quick misconceptions about forgiveness. So that we don't get confused on this. Few few points. So we're clear we need to forgive. Sometimes that can be very, very challenging, right? Sometimes that's not just like, okay, happy little Christian. Okay, I'll just forgive everything. Move on. It can be a, a, an inner war 
that can go on for years. Let's not be unrealistic about that. There are people that have carried bitterness and unforgiveness with them for decades or their whole life. It's shaped them into who they are. They may want to be free from it, but they don't know how to get free. It can be difficult to forgive. And so we don't want to just make this oversimplified, and we don't want to hold on to some of these common misconceptions. So let's look at a few common misconceptions so that we understand how this works, so that we can figure out how to get there. Because I don't want my forgiveness from God being hampered, and neither do any of us in here. We want to be able to be forgiven fully and completely. Misconception number one about forgiveness is that it means that I have to be a doormat. Misconception number one about forgiveness means I need to be a doormat. You know, the whole turn the other cheek thing. Just keep turning the other cheek. Just keep getting beat up. Was Jesus a doormat? No, he flipped the money changer's table over. He did... You read Matthew 23, there's the seven or eight woes, depending on which Bible version you're reading. I mean, he was not a doormat. But why was he able to forgive? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No doormat. But a man of profound capacity to forgive. It doesn't mean that you need to be a doormat. You can stand up for what's true. You can stand up for what's right. You can draw lines and be a person of forgiveness. So it doesn't mean you need to be a doormat. It also doesn't mean that they get off the hook. I had a lady one time years ago talking about forgiving someone, and she's just crying. And she said, but I I don't want that person to not have to answer for what they've done. And I said, oh, (laughs) understand this. They will answer for what they've done. You're not forgiving to get them off of the hook with God. You have no capacity to forgive them before God. You just forgive them before you. you. They don't get off the hook with God because you've forgiven them. You don't have that power. Romans 12:19 says this Do not take revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord What does this mean This is in Deuteronomy it's in Romans it's in Hebrews what does it mean It's mean it means wrongs have been done and there is a judge over all mankind and he will take care of it Your job is to forgive But understand, it is his to avenge, he will repay. And everyone will answer for what they've done. So just because you forgive someone doesn't mean they're off the hook with God. And the uh, the third one, the third misconception, the last one we're going to talk about before we move into the next idea, is this. They do not need... To ask for or deserve forgiveness for you to offer it. They don't need to ask for forgiveness. They don't need to deserve it. Don't wait for that. Go ahead and work on forgiving right away. Faith goes first. Faith initiates. And Jesus, of course, as our example, shows that in Romans 5, 8. 
Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still on the wrong side. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The forgiveness was offered first. They don't need to ask for forgiveness for you to forgive them. They do not need to want to be forgiven for you to forgive them. Now... Let me make sense out of that. There is no restoration until repentance. Do you understand that? Somebody punches you in the face and their whole desire is to punch you in the face the next time they see you. Should you put your face in front of them? (laughs) Depends on the situation. If they're just taking advantage of you, then don't put your face in front of them. If they need rescuing, you know, there's two very different scenarios with that. Make sure that we can get a, a hold of this. Have you ever had a dog with a broken leg and you want to help your dog? What's going to happen when you help your dog? He's going to bite you. That's the turn the other cheek concept. Here's someone who's hurting. Here's someone who's broken. Here's someone who's got all these problems. I'm going to step in. I'm going to help them anyway, even though they're going to bite me. And then there's the the doormat thing where I'm just going to let people take advantage of me and they're laughing at me because I'm so foolish that I won't take a stand. And so they just, uh, they just hurt me for no good reason. Don't put yourself in that position. You know, don't do that. It's okay to say, no, you hurt me this way. Now I'm going to set up these rules so that you don't hurt me again. And if you change then, hey, maybe we can restore the relationship. I'm offering you forgiveness, but not restoration. I'm going to forgive you no matter what your opinion is, no matter what your thoughts are. But when you repent, when you're sorry, then I will bring you in back into relationship. But till then, I'm not going to. I had a a guy that was a Christian and he was a boss and he thought he couldn't discipline or fire his employees because that would be unchristian. I'm like, dude, man. Fire them. (laughs) If they don't do the job right, you fire them. That's not unforgiveness. That's just natural consequences. That's running a business in an effective way. Fire them. You catching that one? You can fire people and be a good Christian boss at the same time. Just normal repercussions for life. Now, if they've hurt you, forgive them. Great. But unless they show that they're going to be a good employee, don't hire them back. All right. You still highly motivated to forgive? That's good. Now let's start getting into some of the stuff that's going to help us make sense. We've got some misconceptions taken care of. We've got our motivation there. Now, let me tell you this. Unforgiveness hurts you, not them. Understand this is hugely important. Unforgiveness hurts you, not them. The whole... uh, There's kind of a genre of foul spirits. You know, there's the uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, um, critical spirit, spirit of offense. You know, that whole stuff that looks at people and goes, I don't like them. You know, that, that whole genre of foul spirit involves unforgiveness. It involves critical spirit, all that stuff. There's kind of a group of them, you know, that just doesn't like people. And here's the deal. 
That foul spirit is outwardly focused. Can you believe what Susie said? I just, you know, that sort of stuff. It's outwardly focused. So it looks like it's pointed at that person or it's on that person. But where is it? It's in you. The unforgiveness, the anger towards the person who did that wrong thing 30 years ago. Where's that anger at? It's in your heart. It's not on them. It's in you. The critical spirit, where is it? It's in you. Unforgiveness, it doesn't hurt them. It hurts you because it's in you. How many times have you been in a situation where the other person didn't even remember doing it? It was just such a small thing to them. You know, they might have said some quippy comment that was cruel. And to you, it was huge and devastating. They didn't even remember saying it because it was nothing to them. Now you're carrying it around for years and it's hurting you. And you're pointing it at them, but they're not even aware of it. It has zero impact on them. I heard an evangelist say it this way. He said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. It's just, it's in you. It hurts you. Unforgiveness, bitterness, it's in you. I had a situation one time where I was trying to forgive and I was unsuccessful. Have you ever had those unsuccessful attempts at forgiveness? And this was just a work environment situation. It was not a deeply meaningful, internal, powerful, you know, like, Horrible thing, like a lot of, there's a lot of people go through really horrible things. This was something that, it was just work. It involved somebody committing suicide. But I mean, it was, it was a work environment situation. It was a bad deal, but I was having trouble forgiving in this situation. And I was noticing a deterioration of my relationship with God. And I'd been working at forgiveness for about a year. And I, you know, I, meant, I mean, seriously, I was trying. Not just like giving it lip service, but I was really trying for about a year to forgive in this situation because I could feel it in me hurting me. I don't want it in me hurting me. Why should I give them that power? I don't even like them. They're bad people. They did bad things. Why, why should I let them continue to hurt me on the inside of me? I don't want that. I'm trying to forgive. I'm trying to forgive. I'm trying to forgive. Having no success. And I was sitting at the stoplight in Bemidji by Paul and Babe there on the lakefront. And I can just distinctly remember a revelation from God. You ever get a revelation from God of just like, ding, something just makes sense to you? And it was this. Unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To take people's sins away. And I was wanting to stick people's sins to him. It's the opposite of the cross. Well, no wonder if in the middle of my consciousness, my unforgiveness is opposing the cross. No wonder it's hurting my relationship with God. No wonder I'm having trouble connecting with God. Hallelujah for that moment in time. Set me free. I like to describe forgiveness in this respect. When you're sinned against... I think of it as uh, the old whaling ships. You know, you got the, the ship and you got the whales and they'd shoot the harpoons and there was a harpoon sticking in the whale and there's a, 
the, the rope, right? Holding the harpoon. And so then the harpoon would be stuck in the whale and drag the ship around and eventually then they'd catch the whale. And sin creates a bond between people, right? If somebody hurts me, that's a connection between the two of us. And if it's a deep hurt, it creates a deep connection. And I might have trouble not thinking about that person. I might have trouble not, you know, focusing my anger and bitterness on that person. We're just deeply connected because of this sin that's occurred. And it's like that harpoon stuck in the whale. And yeah, okay, you've got a harpoon in you. But a big problem is that rope connecting you to the boat. How are you going to get rid of that rope? Well, that's where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness breaks the bond between the person who's sinned and the one who's been damaged. It allows that connection to be severed so that then you can pull out the harpoon and you can start to heal. Until that, it's wiggling and waggling and getting ripped open again and again. And it can stay like that for your whole life. Something can happen to you when you're seven and you can still be being damaged by it when you're 95. You have to forgive so that that bond is broken and severed so that you can begin to heal. Here's a lie from the devil. I believe this lie was a bummer. The devil will fool you into thinking you're somehow standing up for God while you are rejecting forgiveness, love, and grace. Somehow standing up for God but rejecting forgiveness, rejecting love, and rejecting grace. Are you standing up for God if you're standing against forgiveness, love, and grace? No. (laughs) So that's just a trick. Here's the next one. (laughs) I'm sorry. I hope you're having a good time. This is why I warned you at the beginning about the harshness and why I said, I think there's a breakthrough opportunity tonight. Because seriously, if people can get free from this, it can change your life. Next thing. The damage to yourself that unforgiveness creates is only surpassed by the damage that it does to the kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. The damage to yourself that unforgiveness creates is is only surpassed by the damage that's done to the kingdom of God. Where would the cause of Christ be if there had never been an ugly hearted Christian in the last 2,000 years? Where would the cause of Christ be if there hadn't ever been an ugly-hearted Christian in the last 2,000 years? But instead, there's bitter Christians. There's condemning Christians. There's Christians carrying unforgiveness and bitterness, judgmental, critical spirits, ugly-hearted Christians. How much damage has that done to the cause of Christ? Let's slip into the compassionate side here. Here's how this works. This is a great catchphrase. 
Hurt people hurt people. See that? Hurt people hurt people. If someone's been hurt, if they've been wounded, if they've been damaged, they're in pain, they're broken, they're going to hurt those around them. There's just so much overflow of pain that it hits other people, that the cruel thing is said that hurt people hurt people. Many people come to church for help, but they're hurt people. They're damaged people. They're wounded people. And they end up hurting other people when they come to church to try to get help. That's where the turn the other cheek thing comes in. You've got to turn the other cheek because if hurt people hurt people and we want hurt people to come in here so that they can get healing, we've got to understand that and be willing to turn the other cheek. So hurt people hurt people, but let me also say this. Healed people heal people. If I've been through something and I've come out on the other side and somebody else is in the middle of it, oh man, can I speak to that person? If somebody has no idea what they're going through and they just want to say something like, well, you know, God's going to be good to you and just... Have faith and it'll all work out. We'll see ya. You know, that's just not helpful, is it? But when someone can say, you know what happened to me? This. I know where you're at. And you know what else happened to me? God intervened in my life. And this and this and this. And he saw me through. And my heart is healed right now. And I'm not still in pain over that. I'm free. And you can be free too. Hurt people hurt people. But healed people heal people. If we can forgive, if we can honestly get there, we can go from hurt to healed. And we can go from being part of the problem to being part of the solution. Here's my last little... uh, Difficult thing. The ability to forgive is less of a choice and more of a level of spiritual maturity to attain to. The ability to forgive is less of a choice and more of a level of spiritual maturity to try to attain to. Now, it involves choice, right? Like, let's say I want to become a black belt in karate. I have to choose to go to practice. I have to choose to learn. But black belt isn't a choice. I can't just show up and say, Hey, sensei, I want to be a black belt today. Give me a black belt. I'm choosing black belt. You don't really get to choose. You have to choose to fight to get there. But you can get there. Forgiveness is just like that. You may want to forgive. I don't know if you've been there, but man, there are times you want to forgive. You're sick of this owning you. You're sick of having this in your heart. You want it to be gone. You can't get it out. Stuck. Forgiveness in these difficult situations is less of a choice and it's more of a level of spiritual maturity to attain to. For me... It took a miracle from God. 
guess I've had a few of these situations. I had that unforgiveness situation. Then I had a critical heart, critical spirit situation where I just blamed everybody else for various things. It took a miracle from God, but I got a heart transplant that I look in the scriptures. It's the same thing as what they describe as baptism in the Holy Spirit, that instead of that foul spirit in my heart, there was placed something holy, something good. It was amazing, glorious and wonderful. But it took a miracle from God. And that took the struggle out of it for me in, in that particular situation. It took the struggle out. I got the touch from God. It brought me to a new level. Do you believe in getting a touch from God that that's possible? God can touch you. Now, what I find is as we're diligently seeking God, as we're reading the scriptures and learning, and as we're trying to connect with God deeper and deeper, that's when, boom, you get the zap from God. So there's choices involved, and there's the miracle touch from God. I'm going to invite the prayer team up, but I want us... To take a moment and try to receive something. I believe when we're given commands in the scriptures, not only are they given because God loves us and he's trying to help us out, but that then we can take them and we can say, hey, Lord, you told me to do this and I'm going to need your help. So (laughs) you better be equipping me now because you told me to do this and I'm having a struggle with it. So help me with this. I think it's perfectly legitimate. That's not out of turn. It's not disrespectful to God. Taking a command as a promise is very, very well worth it. If he says forgive and you say, I want to. If he says believe and you say, I want to. Remember the guy who said, help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus didn't chastise that person. Help me overcome my unforgiveness. Help me overcome my bitterness. Help me overcome my critical spirit. Help me. I want to believe God for a touch. I want this to be a a breakthrough moment. Our closing scripture is going to be Matthew 10, verse 8. It says this. Jesus is he's talking to his disciples and he's going to send them out to do ministry. But there's a little nugget in there that, that I want us to notice. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Come on. Freely you have received. Freely give. What did they receive? They received forgiveness of sins. They received deliverance. They received healing. They received a miracle touch from God. And so Jesus is saying, you've received. Now give. The first step, we've got to receive. Hurt people, hurt people. Healed people, heal people. I appreciate trying to get through life as a hurt person. 
and the struggle that that is. Keep at her. But when you get to the place of being healed and not hurt, then these doors open up. There's people in here that are hurt. I want you to go from hurt to healed. And I am powerless except to say, Lord, I know you can do that because you've done that for me. So let's believe in a mighty hand. Let's pray together just as a group. And then prayer team's here. Take the time you need. Let's receive good things from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love the broken. Thank you that you accept the the hurting and the weary. But Lord, I pray that the broken and the hurt would become the healed. Lord, I don't know the the depth of sin that has been that has hit each of us in here. Lord, you do. But Lord, I do know this that you want the wounded to be healed. You want the hurt to be set free. You want the bitterness to be conquered. You want the unforgiveness to be pushed out. You want the the darkness that's come in our hearts because of the cruelty of this world to be changed and for your light to well up within us into peace and love and joy and freedom and that those dark things would be gone. So Lord, I pray that you would just touch us in this place. Lord, by your spirit, push out the darkness. Give us the ability to forgive. Give us your spirit instead of a foul spirit. And help us to walk in your freedom. Let it be. Let it be. And Lord, for those who are coming up for prayer, I pray a special miracle touch that they'd be able to receive from you tonight. So bless them in mighty ways. Encourage us, Lord. Give us strength. Help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on up for prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this evening.